Welcome to Imagine Me and You, Rikuma. I am Panda. I am your host, and I am here with my co-host Alice. How you doing, Alice? I am doing well. How are you doing? You just said you how you're doing. I don't know why I said that. I am sleepy. That's okay. I think we're all sleepy. This is a Monday afternoon recording, so that's about the energy we're probably going to be bringing to this episode. But. Uh, also with the sleepy energy is Cass. Hi, Cass. Hello, hello. And today we are, this is mostly like a midway episode between the end of the manga and the guest that we are going to have in hopefully the next episode to talk about Akiko Morishima and like her manga and relationship with uh yuri kuma and stuff like that but this was some stuff that i wanted to cover in the last episode of the manga or the last episode that we did about the manga but we kind of just ran a little long and i didn't want to potentially get us on tangents that would end up with a three-hour episode which I, I nobody wants that i don't want it so nobody wants that yeah but so, okay, what we have here is the journey with this information started with me seeing a post on Tumblr.com. And it is from a Tumblr blog called Soft Kakume. And it is a translated interview uh, with Ikuhara about Yuri Kuma. And that also, in trying to find the source for this translated interview it led me to a a page in the l chat which is a yuri uh, or lesbian uh tapa talk group thread i don't really know how tapa talk exactly works i don't really use it and then, so the interview was linked and someone gave like the information on this being someone who the person who runs soft Ka kakume did a or was working on a translation of the starting guide, which, as I mentioned previously, is like a book about Yuri Kuma. And I don't, I tried to do a little bit more research, but searching through Tumblr is not uh, the easiest thing to do. So I don't know if this person ever finished their translation of the starting guide if if you are soft kakume and you happen to be listening feel free to get in touch with me please but i just wanted to share some of this because i thought it was interesting and yeah yeah i just i thought it was interesting so the first thing i'm going to read is this post from soft kakume and it is ikuhara being interviewed about yurikuma and the question is what was the inspiration to create Yurikuma Arashi? And the answer, meeting Morishima Akiko-sensei was the biggest inspiration. I've been a fan of hers for some time. When I was just finishing up my last project, I was wondering what I should do next. 
Then the two of us met up and talked, and I decided right then that I definitely wanted us to work together on my next project. I was particularly drawn to the mood of her works. I'm not particularly well-versed in the Yuri genre myself, so I thought if I was able to borrow from the mood she creates in her manga, we'd be able to create a good story. Next question. What was the reasoning behind your use of bears in the story? Answer. In reality, bears are creatures that absolutely must not intrude into the human world. When they do intrude, they make us fear for our lives. And yet, for a very long time, humans have also created teddy bears and bear mascot characters, and they're adored by many. I wanted to express the idea of that gap between reality and fantasy. There have been plenty of other shows in the past that have depicted terrifying grizzly bears, and there have been plenty of other shows that have depicted adorable teddy bear types. I thought that depicting both ideas at the same time would be interesting. And uh, speaking for me here, I agree. Yeah. Question. Are there any rules you've asked the staff to follow when working on the show? Answer. The staff concentrates a lot on the cuteness of the bears. I don't think there's any other show out there where the appearance and existence of bears is so important to the story, so I figured we should put as much energy into that as we could. There are also pretty girls and cute girls who appear in the story. I think there are plenty of shows out there that create a lively, jiggly atmosphere between the female characters. To an extent, this show fits into that mold as well. But I don't think there are any other shows out there where adorable girls have to live in fear for their lives from equally adorable bears. I think that sets this show apart from the pack. So I thought we should really concentrate on that aspect. (laughs) Question. Please give a message to the audience. Answer. First, you heard the title of the show and saw the character designs. So I assume this is from before the show came out. Maybe? I don't know. It w- I'd assume that, yeah. Second, you'll see the actual show. Third, the story will really begin to kick into gear and head towards the climax. I expect that your impression of this show will change dramatically three times over as a result. I would agree with that as well. I imagine some people will be expecting the show to be a certain way, but then once you actually see the show, it'll be as if a switch has been flipped. It'll actually turn out to be something totally different from your expectations. I hope you can enjoy that element of surprise. My hope is that this show will show you things you've never seen before and make you feel things you've never felt before. So how do we feel about that interview? Well, the first thing was that last bit where the three, you know, you've seen the designs, blah, blah, blah. I've read that before. So that was a little startling for me. It's like, wait a minute, I've heard this before. I sent you guys the text of the interview in case you wanted to like pick out particular things, but I wanted to make sure that you, you heard it fresh before. Uh... No, I feel like I, I, I feel like I heard that like months and months ago. I sent a screenshot of this interview to our group chat a few weeks ago. So it could be that you happened to look at it and then just haven't thought about it since then. That makes sense. Other than that, I may be missing something with the translation, but the bit about the three parts is the most I am refusing to give you an actual answer ever. (laughs) I mean, you know, that's, uh, that's him. Cass, what about you? So, I... This interview is very funny to me for multiple reasons. I heard you uh, laugh a couple times. I First of all, can we just talk about the line about the jiggly atmosphere? <laughs> I, I'm sorry, but can, can we... Can we just dwell on this for a minute? Ikuhara... 
Bruh, what are you doing? Why are you so good? Uh, I'm actually kind of... The one thing in this interview that I had not heard before, because Yukuhara has given a couple of different interviews about Yurikuma mm-hmm. in the run-up to it, kind of like to promote the show, and so I'd heard some of the stuff about bears before. This was the first time I'd heard that uh, Morishima was like actually his inspiration for choosing to do Yurikuma specifically, which... Yeah, I can, having read the manga now and, like, managed to have a feeling about it that wasn't just, frankly, a kind of spiteful, it's not the anime, and the anime is very special to me, so I don't like it, mm-hmm. that I kind of regret having had uh, in the run-up to it. It's uh, all part of the process. Yeah, like, I can see exactly why Ikuhara really wanted to do this manga, or work with this manga artist. She is really really good (laughs) and kind of what ended up happening out of that collaboration was fantastic i feel like reading this interview what stands out to me is like we talked a lot when we were watching the series about sort of the like the symbolic importance of bears Mm -hmm. to yurikuma where there's kind of like you know it's playing with the trope of the predatory lesbian Mm mm-hmm and I think what's interesting about this interview is without is if you read it on its face, it sounds like when he's he's talking about the gap between reality and what we portray things as, he's talking about like, you know, we portray bears as cute and adorable and, you know, lovable, and they're actually like terrifying and dangerous. But watching the series and like reading the interview, it almost feels like he's he's kind of saying using the fact that there's a gap between how we talk about bears and how they are perceived to talk about the fact that there is a gap between how we talk about gay people and how we are perceived mm-hmm. by larger culture. I don't know. Like, he's talked about this before multiple times, and I've always been one to kind of note that the best way to watch Yurikuma is to not read the bears as being a symbol of exactly one thing. Mm-hmm. Ikuhara likes his ab- on some level the abstraction is just an abstraction. It is a couple of ideas that can take on multiple meanings being presented in a narrative. Is what he's describing here essentially uh Gatmoe? You know, I had that thought as well. He is actually kind of doing that. I mean like Moe's subculture lecture coming up. Like we get the term Gatmoe from the original kind of origin of that as a term for this specific aesthetic, because the original idea behind uh, moe. Ha- have we talked about this before? Do- are you guys familiar with that term? Moe. Gat moe. Well, no, no, like specifically where the what moe comes from. What the uh, root? What's a root word for? Um, oh. I know it has to do with fire, right? Uh, moeru to to burn to blaze, and the yeah. idea is. You call a character Moe because you get fired up with the idea of, like, a good equivalent in English-speaking discourse would be, like, calling someone a cinnamon bun or saying, you know, we must protect this smile. Mm-hmm. Like, if you've ever seen one of those memes, that's essentially what the original version of, the, the origins of the term Moe happened in, was, like, people constantly, you know, listing these characters where it's like, we must protect, we must protect this precious child. Mm-hmm. So you're telling me is that waifus are someone that you would fire one? 
Yes. <laughs> there you go. Fine. <laughs> Fine, Alice. This is the part where we walk with fire. Are you happy now? I am, actually. Good. He asked when it was going to happen, and now it finally happened. It's, Hooray! Hooray! We, we, we fire walked. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. The subculture was kind of built around what we would now call specifically Gap Moe. The The idea was that, like, if you're calling a character Moe, it's because they specifically have that kind of thing where who they want to be and what they want to accomplish and their inability to accomplish that create, like, this gap where you just really want to, like, you want to you want to hug them and tell them it's going to be okay essentially that was the atmosphere that that term was kind of birthed in so in a way the entire moe subculture is about looking at things and kind of seeing them the gap between reality and uh expectation mm -hmm. so what i'm saying here is Yes. If I were Ikuhara, I'd absolutely have wanted to make a psychological horror series about that. <laughs> I agree. I think you did. I mean, yeah, th this whole interview is very short. There's not a lot for us to really, like, do a fine-tooth comb over, but I think it's interesting specifically that Morishima was the inspiration, and when Ikuhara talks about the expectation and reality, that that particular comic can be read multiple ways. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, and um, we also, like I said, we have these included in the L chat thread that I was looking at. This is an imager link uh, or an imager upload of a bunch of screenshots from 4chan that are attributed to uh, Soft Kakume. And it has other stuff from the Yurikuma Arashi starting guide. And Alice and Cass, why don't you guys take these and sort of trade off every other post there's only like five of them yeah let's do it you do the first one guys all right so the first one uh soft kakume notes that they were skimming through the stop the starting guide interview with ikuhara and morishima ikuhara uh knew of morishima through her manga uh, apparently he keeps tabs on both yuri and uh boys love manga regularly i'm shocked unsurprising he contacted her on Twitter when he was putting together the Penguin Drum manga, uh, manga anthology and asked her to submit to it. Uh, she is a huge fan of his. Apparently, she initially turned down his offer to work together on Yurikuma because she was terrified she would fail and ruin everything. <laughs> and she said she couldn't have handled it if, it, if an Ikuhara show was, was ruined for her because she loves his shows too much. She credited Ikuhara partially for her decision to become a mangaka uh, wow. because she read an interview of his when she was 19 that made a huge impression on her. And, like, apparently he was the person who inspired her to consider how people actually make uh, manga. God, that's such a very specific switch-flipping moment. I'm sorry, my brain is, like, flipping back to... Um... Have either of you seen uh, Ezoken yet? Uh, no, but I've been meaning to. The very first episode of that has a really cute little almost short film sequence that shows the exact moment where, like, the penny drops for the main character that a person makes the ca cartoon she watches every day, and that's very cool. 
Ooh. And it's because she watches a recording of, oh my god, it was the Miyazaki television series from the 70s, Conan Boy of the Future. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a really sweet little bit. And I just got reminded of it now. So Ikuhara noted that working in the Yuri genre, there are lots of things he can only pretend to understand to a point where he considers that unavoidable with the subject matter. But he thought early on that the project needed someone with credentials people could have undying faith in. Someone that would make people say, with such a godlike person working on this, I will have no choice but to follow along with it. <laughs> so basically, that's why he brought Morishima on board. And he kind of conceded that things might feel a little off with him working on it, but that her involvement should keep the soul of the work intact. Mm-hmm. And apparently Morishima talked a lot about how for a long time she wrote the kind of Yuri manga she wanted to read herself, but couldn't because the manga that she wanted to read did not exist at the time. Mm-hmm. Which, that kind of tracks a little bit, because her work yeah. has a lot of things going on in it, but none of them are what I would expect from... She kind of both leans into and away from Class S at the same time. I, have either of you started reading Conditions of Paradise? I have not, not yet. Okay. I was playing so tonight, actually. Because it occurred to me that like the way that Yurikuma's the manga is structured is like, you've got the you know, boarding school atmosphere, which is a very big staple of Class S. You have the high school romance. Mm -hmm. You have all of that going on. Uh, you even have the whole, like, uh, love broken up by eventually returning to heteronormativity happening for certain characters. Mm -hmm. Except in this story, the school is co-ed. Like, that's actually a plot point very early on. So it's not an all-girls school, so the girls are together not just because there's no traditional access to heteronormative romance, they're together because they want to be together. And the story spends as much or arguably more time, <laughs> based on this next point we're going to read out, uh, developing <laughs> the relationships of the older characters who, you know, some of whom are potentially still married. <laughs> yeah, so... First off, Morishima loves telling stories about older women, and she so has to be constantly checking herself that she doesn't didn't make Yuriko the main character of the manga. Yeah, I uh, I teased this last episode. Yeah, about how her friends had to point out to her that she was making she was putting way more too much effort into the Yuriko and Rea scenes when it, <laughs> more than anything else that was going on. This is interesting to me. Ikuhara states that he likes to start his shows by having the mangaka he works with inspire him rather than the other way around. Apparently, he gave her an explanation for the show concept that was a single page with the broadest strokes and asked her to start building designs from there. She would press him for more details about characters and he would just kind of say, who knows? <laughs> and I assume a very whimsical and mysterious voice. She started making little gag comics in the margins of her design sheets to kind of get a, a feel for the characters, uh, which inspired Ikahara as he started solidifying characters' identities, which is interesting. I wonder if those gag comics are out there anywhere. Because, Alice, you talked in the last episode about how much you enjoyed Morishima doing like a four coma style comic. And it yeah. turns out that she does, like, she has actually done. Yeah, a, I was actually about to say that's kind of actually coma. where she got her start. I haven't really looked into it. I just happened to see that and 
remember you saying you liked her doing that style. Yeah, some of her earliest published, some of her early published work was in fact uh, four cover, which mm-hmm. is pretty standard. Like a lot of people start that way. Mm-hmm. Four cover is great. Listener, if you have never like read a four cover manga, I highly encourage you to try it. And if you don't know what that is, it's four K O M A. Yeah, it's it's just a standard, mostly four panel per page comic thing. It's very much gag comics, but they can be very fun. It, it's it's good at popcorn fair, mm-hmm. especially if you just like do. I like mean, it's a little I bit do. like a newspaper comic. Yeah, in the a US. Little bit. Like a not, bit. it's not one to one, but like there's kind of a similar casual vibe. Yeah, Ginko was originally designed to have a tall, tomboyish image, apparently, but Ikuhara requested her hair to be shortened to the style it is now. Somehow, the haircut did match with her height, so she's only got shorter. Ah, oh, we were robbed. Yeah, I wouldn't have minded that. Morishima is doing her own thing with the manga. Her Invisible Storm, part of this interview that came out like before everything was said done. Her Invisible Storm is not necessarily the same as Ikahara's. She has a planned ending in mind for the manga, but she's watching the anime along with everyone else. So the anime may influence the manga, and she may end up changing her plans after seeing it. Which is that kind of what we... Stuff. Yeah, that's kind of what we thought while we were reading it, so... Yeah. According to this, she doesn't like over-reliance on metaphor or fantasy elements, so she's been avoiding touching on the bear origin story stuff, which... Was about how I felt. <laughs> like, that's not surprising. No. Hi, I'm a magical realism author. <laughs> Emphasis on the realism. Uh, Cass, you're up. So apparently, Ikuhara first imagined that the judge men's would be female visually, but have male voice actors. So the initial designs for them were girls. I, oh my god, that means that the life beauty as a girl thing was an unused design. <laughs> that she stuck it as a joke. Fuck incredible that's great that the penny just dropped for me because i'd read through this before we started recording and i just went wait a minute (laughs) apparently no gendered phrasing is ever used to refer to the judgment bears in the uh the novel which i'm assuming by that soft kakume is referring to the starting guide uh no actually there is a there is also a yurikuma like light novel oh but there's no translation of it online, which is why I didn't even bother with us trying to find a way to fit that in. We just we, we just fun. can't read it. I need to get someone to read that for us. Apparently, Soft Kakume was working on a translation of the light novels, but like the last information I could find on that was from several years ago. So, uh, you know, I mean, li- life uh, life happens. Yeah. For some reason, I, like even though that's not what you were saying, I was about you thought to I was going to say life finds, finds a way. way. I was <laughs> yep. about to finish it for you. It had to physically restrain myself. <laughs> life uh, finds a judgment. <laughs> By the way, as an aside here, I kind of find it interesting that someone who admired Ikuhara's work and was so influential on her doesn't like relying on fantasy or over or um, more obscure kind of metaphorical stuff. That's interesting. It does kind of feel like an odd thing, but then you think about it and it's like, well, yeah, how many of us try to make the exact same thing as the creators we admire most? Because, like, I can think of the kind of people who I admire and almost all of them are able to do things in any medium I'm familiar with that I 
I can't do and I don't like to do because I don't think I'm good at it. Yeah, Alice, Absolution is a way different thing than, oh, I don't remember the name of the album, the uh, Afterman. Is it? Yeah, I'm choosing to believe that. I mean, it has a lot less of the specific problems. (laughs) (laughs) I just wanted to make that specific joke, really. (laughs) That was just for you. Ah, yes. That's right. My reminder. I am but a joke. Oh, <laughs> shut the fuck up. <laughs> Alice over here guilting <laughs> Guilting her on air. Listeners. Jail for a thousand years! <laughs> oh, you put me into the Pokeball? <laughs> okay, we can't. We're gonna this Monday afternoon energy is getting to us. Okay, we need to I do agree. I think it's interesting that someone who considers Ikuhara so influential wouldn't be bringing some of those like fantastical elements into their own work. But there's also a lot of things that I find influential on me that like if I were going to be making a creative work, I probably wouldn't incorporate in there. So like I get it. Yeah. Uh, Speaking of. So Morishima's favorite character design is Konomi, and she likes that her ugliness is somehow adorable. Oh, no! I don't think she's ugly! She's adorable! Wait, who? The chipmunk girl. There's a lot going on there. They use a lot of features for her that are not considered conventionally attractive in character designs, like... Uh, Like her little buck teeth. Yeah, in a lot of manga, gag manga especially, this character would be the bunch of... Yes, that is true. And... I think that like what she's really saying there is she's proud that she was able to make this design adorable despite incorporating all of those elements and despite emphasizing all of them, which, yeah, she deserves credit. (laughs) Apparently, Ikuhara said the whole staff had a soft spot for Konami. (laughs) We kind of talked about this in the interview, but they mentioned bears were chosen because they are deadly. And Ikuhara mentions if we wanted something cute, it might as well have been dogs. Oh, what an interesting world that would have been. (laughs) Please, no. I can't handle it. My brain. Bears introduce a life or death element to the narrative that builds into the sexual angle. Ikuhara vaguely alludes to the idea of of the sexual being directly connected to death, and Soft Kakume speculates that this might kind of lean into a speculation that was going around the community at the time that none of the characters who get eaten are actually dead. They are sexually liberated and sent out of the human world, which Hmm. I don't know if I follow that theory exactly. It's like being a werewolf, but you're gay. (laughs) We did just watch Ginger Snaps. It's like the same thing. Okay, basically, it's just like the way that the Yurikoma world works, if I'm reading this correctly, is essentially a world of darkness vampire of the masquerade situation but with being gay once you break the masquerade you have to go live in like a colony yeah like you you once you you break the masquerade and you have to you get you get disappeared so i mean that is literally the narrative but also the mechanisms of it are not necessarily what this post is speculating <laughs> uh but yeah like that is kind of an interesting theory, and I wish I had more to say about it beyond just, like, I would buy it a little bit more if I couldn't, A, read that and go, wait a minute, 
there's a whole bit with Ginkgo where Ginkgo meets her death impulse, and there's kind of an implication that devouring Kureha would be bad. Mm-hmm. Are they talking about the anime or the manga? Well, it has to be the anime because in the manga, there is exactly one character who people talk about getting eaten by bears, and it's Rhea who got shot and also may or may not be alive. I was going to say, do they say she was eaten? But I remember that the storybook. Kale has her whole thing about how she ate the girl she loved. Yes. Yeah, it's the only time in the manga that eating a character comes up is Kale talking about having eaten Rhea and Ginkgo thinking about eating Kureha. That's the only time in the manga it comes up. And in the anime, it's a lot more frequently used, but it comes up in the context of Ginkgo and Lulu saying that they eat the girls who are trying to attack Kureha, and a couple of characters try to eat Kureha. And that's kind of where that comes up. And the reason I don't know how I feel about this is mostly that uh, in the Yurikuma anime, if we are to read the killing characters as being like a, um, a sex thing, rather than just a linked concept, like this is a direct metaphor for this... That kind of means that Ginkgo and Lulu are rapists, and I don't like that reading. Yeah, me either. I would say that the, that reading there is a little over-literal. And in general, I would say, as I, I've said before with Utana, that any reading of an Ikihara thing that is relying on literalness, for lack of a better way of saying this, is probably going to be weird as hell and not work. I think it might be better to understand this in terms of, one, Ikuhara has a long history of saying bullshit to get people to think and also to get them to not rely on whatever he says for their reading of things. And two, there's a degree to which I can see this as a kind of the idea of the quote-unquote being eaten as in, in terms of like, this. In the anime, there, there, what Ginkgo and Lulu do is gobbling people, but we also get the same language about the gir- the Invisible Storm girls with each other. So I think it's best to see those two things in this context as being sort of separate but related, and that like there's a sort of embracing their natureness to this, whereas Ginkgo and Lulu this is a literal more of a literal thing because they're bears with the invisible storm girls this is more of a figurative thing because they are invisible storm girls yeah who also happen to be bears occasionally yeah i think a good way of looking at it is sort of like the one thing about that reading i'll agree with is i don't think death in yuri kuma is supposed to be read as this character is literally actually dead and yeah, I mean the uh, the more the obvious thing here is that what he means by this is that literally the entirety of the anime version of the story is like deeply figurative to the point of madness. Yeah, when you see a character die in Yurikuma, do not treat that mentally as this character is dead. Dead. Speaking of death, Ikura laughs. There are probably viewers disappointed in the sort of drastic life or death angle of the story, and that a lot of people were probably thinking um, Yuri's stories ought to be more light and fluffy. Morishima responds that she doesn't actually mind fluff. I actually inject here that from what I've seen of the little bits of her work outside of this, 
having actually read the first chapter of Magicians of Paradise forever ago, when I connected the, uh, like, four or five episodes when I connected her to that work, I'm not surprised by this. Her main concern in the Yuri genre is really just the strength of the romance between the, the girls. She doesn't necessarily insist on portrayals of their sexualities as being absolute or in the way that it is manifested as being absolute. She mostly just cares the strength of that romantic dynamic. And here's a quote from her. It's not like this story has sex in it. And so it's the quote unquote real thing. This one has no sex in it. So it's pulling punches. When she's reading other stories, she's always thinking lots of things like the story is just wants to show these girls all over each other. It's not going for a deeper meaning at all. Damn it, this is so adorable, it's obnoxious. Or, yeah, this is good, I want more of this. I'm drawn to the idea of the whole, the difference in dynamic and how being a lesbian is perceived in Japanese culture and that sort of cultural milieu as sort of this idea of like, this is not a real thing unless you're really doing X, Y, or Z. Not to say that's unique there, but like. No, I mean, there's definitely still uh, some of that attitude, like here in the u.s also the difference is actually ironically not that we treat lesbianism any more or less authentically yeah we keep it any more authentically than japan it's that for a long time japan was more permissive about allowing displays of it because they were perceived as non-threatening yeah so i kind of read that comment in light of that and that it would make sense to me for someone working in that genre to feel indifferent regarding whether or not how the sort of, for lack of a better term, again, the sexiness level of what they're reading or writing there, because yeah, I'd be kind of burned out by that too. I get that. I also like this pushback against the idea that Yuri stories have to be light and fluffy. Yes. I have read a lot of Yuri manga and I like a lot of it. One of the things I have noticed is that a lot of it is like that. And that's not necessarily a bad thing. I like fluffy stories. But oh, I love fluffy stories. But like. Sometimes they can come across as like really bizarrely. I just think that the idea that like stories yeah. involving love between two women should and need to be light and fluffy is like infantilizing. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I love fluffy stories. I'm all about fluffy stories. But, like, the moment you start saying a story that is more complicated than that and is darker or deeper than that needs to be light and fluffy, that is where I start to get upset. Yeah. 100%. I, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of of the same mind as y'all. Mm-hmm. Notable one from the staff, the production meetings on this show were apparently insanely long, even more so than Penguin Drum. And... It is apparently an ongoing thing that show meetings with Ikihara on Ikihara-led projects tend to be complicated and everyone's confused literally all the time. Which, yeah, that, that's probably, that scans, honestly. <laughs> I can only imagine what those kind of meetings are like for these. Though in general, as an aside, production meetings on animation tend to be exhausting affairs, I have heard. Because you're having to communicate across disciplinary lines all the time and that can take forever and be rather difficult to do well especially between people who actually do animating stuff and people whose job it is to secure funding 
Y'all, I found out, I actually, I found where the image that we are looking at is apparently someone took a, like, post from Soft Kakume's blog and just, like, reposted their bullet points, and I actually managed to find the original post. It's neither here nor there, but I thought I would include this information. It's, it's, It's all the same information, so. Comments about the high ratio of women on staff again. Just like on Penguin Drum. And this is a sure as a statement. I'm going to defend it. Just like on Penguin Drum, the staff acts like mothers and older sisters to Ikuhara. I'm going to go out on a whim and say that I believe the way this is intended by either whoever says this, either Morishima or the interviewer, but I think it's Morishima, is... Um, uh, I, I don't know if it's attributed to anyone in particular. Yeah, it's not attributed to anybody. I think it's anybody. just like something about the staff. On one hand, I'm pretty sure this is meant to be read as that there is a convivial atmosphere, mm-hmm. which it would match what we've heard before, and that there's a pretty convivial, friendly atmosphere, and that they're kind of what they're trying to say is that there are lots of women on the production staff, like more so than usual, and he is friendly with everybody and they have to be there. But you could also the there's a part of me that reads this and be like, ah, yes. So what you're telling me is that he is a man child. Yeah. And I feel like if I think it's uncharitable. Yeah. I feel like if we heard a statement like that come out of an American studio, it would kind of have a much different vibe, but I I don't know. How do, how do you guys, I don't get that? that vibe. I really don't get that vibe here. Yeah. I don't, that's, that isn't really the vibe that I get from that statement here. The vibe I get is a lot more Ikuhara was letting the women around him kind of tease him constantly. Yeah. Kind of bonk him on the head when he needs help. Yeah. And I think that's probably what's actually being conveyed here, given that, you know, this is in the same interview where they talk about Ikuhara's very open statement that, like, you know, he feels like there's things about this he he cannot get speak to and cannot get right on his own. Mm Mm-hmm. So it would make a lot of sense that, you know, when they're talking about this, that Ikuhara, you know, kind of treated all of them as, you know, essentially like, you know, older family members. Hey, mom, I have a problem. Can you help? (laughs) It also, I feel like it makes sense to know that there were uh, a high ratio, there was a high ratio of women on staff for Yurikuma. Like, I feel like that tracks based on just like the end product. A horde of women desperately were fighting to convince Ikihara that he can't just turn the bears into cars again. <laughs> no, but what if he did? We've got to stop doing this. Oh, that would have been really cool. No, Panda, no. <laughs> we can't have this. We can't let this man keep doing this. Stop encouraging car bear heaven now. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I think we have one left. Yep. So the last note is uh, everyone who was invited to work on the show was told the title first. Almost everyone had the same reaction to it, which was WTF. <laughs> Forget the, the eerie part for a sec. Let's talk about the bear storm. Is this really going to be okay? The bears are girls? The girls are bears? <laughs> bear NATO. Oh my god. Someone refers to the show as a story of meetings and reunions. Uh, Sumimoto Etsuko says that when she was approached for it, she thought, if we can expand upon the idea of making a show about girls for girls, it's going to be interesting. I will agree with her. (laughs) 
almost everyone's interviews are pretty clipped. Like they're afraid of giving too much away, but the main producer is apparently a big Ikuhara fan and he's a bit more chatty. He says he was excited from the beginning to see what Ikuhara would do this time. And while it's a show with a lot of mysteries going on, if you watch until the end, he thinks everyone will realize that everything in the show has an intended meaning and people should get a sense of satisfaction when they see how it ultimately ties together. I agree with that. I felt pretty satisfied when I watched the end of the anime. Look, my entire experience of doing the watch through with y'all and especially with Yashavana was me sitting there and going like, this is a slow burn. You have to let it go. This is a slow burn. You have to let it go. This is a slow burn. You have to let it go. You have to trust the process. (laughs) And then going, ah, when y'all got to the end. (laughs) I'm only mildly sorry that I kind of like did a victory dance after Everyone made it clear that I was vindicated in my opinions about. Oh, it looks <laughs> oh, like Soft Takame has translated the prologue for the first Yuri Kuma light novel. So, I mean, I can send you that, but that's all we've got. Aw. Oh, well. But anyway, yeah, this was just some stuff that I wanted to talk about when we were finishing the manga that we didn't have time for. I would be interested in finding out more about the contents of the starting guide, but... We only have so much information. Yeah, there is not a, a dedicated hub of Yurikuma information, and uh, I don't know if there is a translation of the starting guide floating out there anywhere. Uh, if there is, I would love to take a look at it, but if not, I really liked learning that Ikuhara was inspired by Morishima's art to make the series. I think it really shows, and that's just really fun because I'm looking forward to. I don't know when I'm going to get to read Conditions of Paradise because I'm rereading Watchmen for another podcast, but I do want to get to it, and I'm looking forward to talking more about Morishima in the next episode, hopefully. Hell yeah. Yeah. Okay, well, do we have any anything else we want to close with? We all good? Mm, not that I can think of. Okay. No, I think this was a very fun little uh, excursion. Yeah. Well, listeners, if you would like to follow us on Twitter, you can do that at UtanaCast. If you would like to follow me on Twitter, you can do that at MPandanata. Alice, where can people find you online? They can find me at LiarWolf on Twitter. That's L-Y-R-E-W-U-L-F. Every time I say that, it sounds like I'm doing a radio thing. <laughs> And Cass, where can people find you online? Oh, no, Alice, that's not how you do a radio thing. I'm sorry. If you want to do a radio thing, you got to go full transatlantic narrator voice. You can find a fine podcast, Big Steppy, a show about giant robots, wherever podcasts are sold. Currently, some episodes may be unavailable, but we hope to have that fixed soon. We're working on it. We are working on it. If you want to contact us regarding the show, you can find our social media presence on SteppyCast at Twitter. That's S-T-E-P-P-Y-C-A-S-T on Twitter.com. Thank you and good night. And if you'd like to support the show, you can do that at UtanaCast.com. That is where you can find our Patreon. And up next, after our other episode about Akiko Morishima, we will be doing the patron-funded bonus episode about Wolf's Reign. And I'm very excited about it. And I hope that you are, too. So, uh, that's it. That's all the things. I think we're all gonna go take a nap. Gow, gow!
Cowbell. Cowbell. Look for the fairness.